0: Let's pray and uh, we'll get started. Father in heaven, as always, we are so grateful for the opportunity we have to gather together as believers and to worship you. Father, we understand that uh, the worship of you is right and proper, that it is our duty. Uh, We desire to do so, Father. We're grateful for all that you are and all that you've done for us. We know, Lord, we can never thank you enough. We can never repay you for all that you've done. And we're grateful that you never asked us to repay you because we we would be unable to. Fathers, we worship this morning, which has been our desire, which is to honor you and to give you the reverence that you so rightly deserve. We've done so, Father, by uh, coming together, by bowing together in prayer as we confess our sins, as we seek to uh, learn from the Word of God, to hear f- from you from the reading of Scripture. Uh, in, in the singing of praises and really reminding ourselves of the great truths of the word of God as we have set aside our funds or our giving and gifts so that uh, the kingdom can be advanced here on earth uh, we ask for your blessing on that and we ask Lord as we always do that you bless uh, your word as we seek to finish up this letter to the 2nd Corinthians of 2 Corinthians and uh, come to bring to a close all those things that Paul had said and instructed the Corinthians to do We thank you, Father, again for your blessing and that you have preserved your word for us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So if you think about it for just a moment, Paul has been increasingly harder in his tone towards the Corinthians he's been dealing with these issues we've been talking about uh, for several months and he's even gotten to the point where he said that you know he's hoping that he will not have to be harsh when he gets there that what he's expecting is for them to mature uh, to make right decisions concerning really these individuals who are really false teachers who are leading them astray leading them away from being faithful to Christ and and being faithful to the things that Paul has taught them again remember they've done so by trying to undermine and basically assassinate Paul's character uh, and his reputation so he's been defending himself but really he's been doing in such a way to continue the for the focus to be on his love for them his desire for their growth and his desire for them to be mature and for their desire and for his desire for them to make the right decisions he's not overly concerned with them holding him in high esteem unless it affects his ability to influence them really for the cause of Christ and with the truth of the word of God and so I think he's done so very effectively and after all these things where there's this tension that is there in this church and really a tension that has kind of arisen between himself and some of them because they have been you know kind of falling in line with these accusations that have come from what he called the super apostles he then ends with this rejoice aim for restoration comfort each other agree with each other, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you so the hard tones, the tension, all these things he's back to speaking to them with great affection because he does care for them he does love them and it's not an unusual thing. We've done the same thing with our children. There are times when you've had to scold your child or your children for things and we have to be stern and we have to be firm with them. Uh, but, it's not, but that's not the tone that we carry for the rest of their lives. You know, Once, once the issue's been dealt with and once it's over, uh, you know, we're not being two-faced. We are back to expressing our love for them because that's kind of the, the ebb and flow of what we do as parents uh, with our children. And so here in this relationship, that Paul has with these individuals he does care for them and he's had to deal with these issues but he wants them to know that he's not rejecting them because they've done all these things he still cares a great deal for them and so there's kind of a barrage of commands really is what these things are um, uh, for what they are to basically be doing on a regular basis and what he wants them to do are things that really require a reliance on the Holy Spirit he's not telling them to do things that just anybody can do what he's asking them to do really especially in light of these difficulties they've had they are going to need the help of God to to live this way and and to live in light or or live in obedience to, to these commands. He says for them that their aim should be for restoration. That's what he means in some translations, we'll see, be made complete. Basically, what he's saying is, look, you need to set things right. Put things in order. Mend your ways or grow to maturity. That's the idea of restoration that he's trying to get at here. In other words, what he's talking about is he wants them to reject really the different gospel that was brought by these false teachers. Remember in a sense they have really added to the gospel, whether it was, you know, there were some who were kind of this idea that you had to uh, kind of, I guess, accomplish good works with the grace of God to be saved, or if you want to remain saved, or if you really want to grow close to God, you know, you you needed to kind of add your good behavior, good works to these things. And what we understand from reading the scripture is that good works are required of us, but not to maintain our relationship with the Lord. That's not, our relationship with the Lord is based on what Christ has done for us. But because of this relationship, these commands that we have to do good works, really He's laying out what He would like us to do, what He wants us to do, what He commands us to do. So there's obligations, but these aren't conditions. There's a, there's a difference between those two things. All right, so we are obligated to live in obedience to what God has said, but it's not a condition of our maintaining our salvation. Again, in the same way, we place obligations on our children, our parents placed obligations on us when we were growing up, but what our parents didn't say, if you want to remain my child, you need to do such and such. That's that's not really, if that did happen, I feel bad for you because that's not what parents are supposed to do. And we know that. We understand that. And so we need to make sure that we don't somehow try to soften the commands that Paul is giving here and say somehow they're just strong suggestions. But at the same time, we don't want to misunderstand them because of the strength of these commands and somehow think that, well, I need to make sure I do these so I can stay saved. Uh, Because again, our remaining uh, in the hands of Christ are not based on my obedience or the success of my walk with the Lord. So again, he wants them to reject this different gospel that was brought really by his opponents. He wants them to recognize his claim to be their apostle. He wants them, he wants to make sure that there are no immoral practices that are going on in their midst. Paul's appeal to them is that they should examine themselves and amend their ways so that when he comes, he won't have to be severe in the use of his authority. So Paul speaks really of individual perfection, meaning moving on to maturity, as both individuals and as a church body. Again, that's what he wants to see take place here and that's what he means when he says aim for restoration also he says comfort one another the idea there is for them not to lose heart because of what's been going on don't, don't take this, what's t- this upheaval that's happened and then lose heart Where you're kind of like, well, I just, I really don't have the energy to really, you know, really, I guess you, you don't always say this, but we kind of feel this. Where we don't want to pursue certain things spiritually because, well, there's all this tension and we just kind of, you know, we're no longer motivated for various kinds of reasons. He says, don't let that happen. Comfort each other with these things. Look at what you've already achieved and the correction that I'm giving you is because you can do better. That these things can be corrected and life will get better for you. So this is what he wants them to do. He wants them to allow themselves in a sense to be exhorted. He says He's basically saying, listen to my exhortation. Um, he, he's urging them to heed his advice. This is the way to go. And so comfort each other with this. That means to, again, to encourage each other to continue on, uh, to move forward in their walk with the Lord. Then he says he wants them to agree with one another or to be like-minded. to be like The idea there is for them to be harmonious uh, in their thought and in their aim. You, I guess you could say this is a great need in many churches, maybe in every church. It is evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit when we are... Of one accord. So when it comes to this, when he talks about being in agreement with each other, again that doesn't mean that we're going to sit in perfect agreement on every doctrine of Scripture. It never means that. This is not there's no idea in here where where we are to be clones in our behavior and clones in our thoughts. Now we are to be very similar in our behavior and that we do what is right, we pursue righteousness, we live morally, we seek to honor Christ. Absolutely. When it comes to uh, our agreement about why we do things, how we care for people, how we communicate, how we look out for each other, that we should pray for each other, there should be agreement among us when it comes to that. Who we follow, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and being guided by by, by the Spirit through the Word of God. All those things we're in agreement about. But there are going to be things that we disagree, points of doctrine. And that really is okay. It really is. And just so you know, it actually already exists here. I hope none of you think that everybody here agrees on everything. This doesn't happen. Right? In fact, if you were just sitting to, if we were just kind of, I guess, uh, lay aside the rules, so to speak. No holds barred. And you put me, Stephen Posner, Bobby Deloach, who us has really strong opinions, is not afraid to, to uh, say them? Steven Jackson, you know, men who, who will say things, you know, and, and we would you would say, Good grief, are these guys even friends? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we love each other immensely, respect each other. There are things we disagree on. And after we talk for two hours, we would leave the room and still disagree on probably all of it. All right, we would not be persuaded. But it doesn't matter. But also along with that, we don't want to now limit this idea that when it comes just to agreeing to Scripture. Uh, Because he also talks about us living in peace. So here's the thing. Many people have recognized, we've even talked about it, well I've mentioned it, a few times before, over the past couple of years. And we see this in our country. Uh, There is some heated division among people. It seems that when individuals voice their opinion on social issues, on political issues, sometimes we can get really upset. We can get hot under the collar. We may be thinking, how, you're thinking, hopefully not saying this, how in the world do they believe that? What is wrong with them? How can they fall for that? Or whatever the terminology may be. What we need to recognize as believers is we're, you know, again, we're all individuals, we know that. We are going to have differing views on many issues. Not every issue. Uh, maybe we may agree on certain issues because of what the scripture says, but even how to handle certain things, we may disagree. But there again is this command that we are to be in agreement and live in peace with each other. We are not given a choice here. It may seem, and maybe maybe it is, humanly impossible when it comes to certain issues for us to live this way. But it's not impossible for us because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. As we live uh, in dependence upon the Spirit of God, continuing to read the Bible, the, what's going to happen is the Spirit of God is going to use the Scripture to continue to change us and to mold us to become more like Jesus Christ so we will have a more forgiving spirit we will be more uh, gracious to each other we will be much kinder, we will be more just giving in general uh, giving others the benefit of the doubt, Uh, we're not going to be judging individuals or condemning them harshly because of whatever views they may hold No matter matter how obvious it may seem to us. We we just need to recognize that just because something is obvious to you doesn't mean it's obvious to others. It just doesn't mean that. And we all come from different backgrounds and we've been given information in different ways and we've seen and experienced the world in, in all kinds of ways. But we are united by Jesus Christ. And so we need to recognize that, and we need to work for that. So when we work for that, that doesn't mean then that you strive to change others to believe what you believe or to become like you. The idea is is that we strive to become more like Christ and to be more forgiving, more kind, more gracious to others. We need to have wisdom to know when to speak and sometimes when not to speak. Right, we've even talked about that a little bit before, just when it comes to Facebook stuff. There's been times when, you know, people have said things and I want to respond to it and I, I have to bite my tongue. You know, even though it could be expressed through my fingers. As Actually, not my fingers, I only type with these two. But with these two fingers, as I begin to type, uh, a response. There have been times that I have written something. And then reread it several times, and said, just doesn't need to be said by me. Boop, delete. Right? Because it's, it's unimportant. Because of what what it might cause. Right? There's maybe there's another way to say that, or maybe if I if I feel it's necessary, I can say it to him in private instead of you know throwing it out there. So there's all kinds of things that go into all of this. But the goal is to get along. Now that doesn't mean that I compromise my beliefs. I don't believe anything differently but we need to understand what is most important what is important, it's like, it's like having the ability to choose between what is best and what is good a lot of good things we we'll want choose the best things right, I'm not talking about when you go out and you purchase fine china or the best car I'm talking about these issues that we're talking about and their place of real importance in life and we want to make sure that, that, we, are, that we are and one of the ways to do that is to make sure that we really adopt the heart of Paul and that we do have a great concern for each other's growth and maturity and to, and to be encouraged in a walk with the Lord. And so if I'm going to say something or treat someone in a way that may hinder that, that needs to be kind of the overarching uh, theory or uh, principle that I'm going to follow in dealing with this issue. Maybe that person is unable to handle emotionally, for whatever the reason, what, what my opinion is. My opinion is just not that important. right? And then sometimes what we have to recognize is maybe the sheer force of your personality. Meaning you think that as you say something, that you're saying it in a very kind way, but you happen to have a aggressive, just personality, and that puts that person kind of in a, in a defensive... you just have to know that. And if that's, if that's the case, then you need to make sure you back off or say nothing change the topic if they think let's say you're in a discussion going back and forth and if you decide to go silent on an issue to change a subject and they think that you're doing that because you're weak or you don't have a comeback you know that's okay you don't have to prove yourself you don't have to prove your IQ you don't have to prove that you're right you don't have to prove that you're not backing down. You don't have to do that. You don't have to prove your manhood or your womanhood or whatever. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to do those things. Uh, we need to follow the really the example of Christ, the example of Paul. That's that's the living out of humility. Really, what is best for others, and that's what we follow. And again, it, it just this never means that you have to compromise on what you believe to be right and true. Uh, we can seek seek wisdom from God when it comes to these things. So what Paul is saying here then is not just for a church then that's gone through these things where there's been a lot of this tension. It is applicable to all of us and the times that we live in where there really is great division. Now one more thing along with that that is important and that's this. We do need to decide as Christians what the final authority is going to be in our life. It has to be scripture. We've said this before, but it's important for us to really grasp this. That individuals can twist the scripture, misunderstand the scripture, misuse the scripture, and therefore have a misunderstanding of what it's actually teaching. This is never a call for us to back down from a proper understanding of scripture. We don't have to back down from that. And we don't have to be angry about it, but we don't have to back down from that. But as believers, there are some... Maybe individuals are called themselves believers. maybe they are believers who, because of the deceit that's out there, because of the cleverness of other individuals, they have uh, succumbed to maybe some faulty argumentation where individuals have used the the Bible or used passages of scripture maybe to support some kind of immoral behavior. And so there are times that we have to be stubborn. We have to be firm. We have to be the individual who is is uncompromising. And we don't have a choice with that. And so we are going to be still going to be accused of being radical, of being an extremist, of maybe even being an extreme fundamentalist, or you know, the names just you know the list of names can continue to grow as to what we might be called, and we should not fear those things. So the way to get through these things is never then to compromise the absolute truth of Scripture, and that has happened and does happen in many corners of our country within the church, where individuals where uh, we'll just use some simple and a simple example, because I do believe that most individuals recognize that the Bible is really very clear on homosexual behavior. And we know that it is sinful. Now we also know, at least we should understand, that that never is a green light to mistreat anyone who is homosexual. Never have a right to do that. Never have a right to be unkind to them. None of those things. We should love them. We should care for them. They need the gospel like everyone else does. It has happened sometimes because maybe someone in your family has suddenly decided or proclaimed that they are homosexual we begin to or maybe it's someone that we maybe some friend we grew up with or whatever the case may happen to be and we begin to hear these other arguments where people do use the bible and twist it to somehow support uh, what they are doing or what they are we need to be clear that the bible is for us the final authority and so there will be times when that individual may make your acceptance and maybe your celebration of their statement as a test for the relationship A you must choose, as a Christian what the scripture says that's a false narrative there you can express to them that you do still love them they may choose to believe or disbelieve whatever you say Maybe that's part of the persecution that believers will go through when there will be those in our families that will turn against us because of what we believe. It's probably going to happen to most of us, maybe all of us, at some point in some kind of situation. Which I do believe, then, should cause us, or at least help us to recognize the great importance of the church in our supporting of each other, and praying for each other, being the listening ear for each other, being there to comfort each other, because you know that can be very painful when there are people that you love dearly turn against you or cut you off because you refuse. Because you know in our the day, the day we live in, it's no longer that you say uh, and then it's acceptable. You say, "Well, you can just be whatever you want to be; it just doesn't affect me." Then people don't—they don't want that; they don't accept it anymore. They want you to say it's good they want you to celebrate it with them and so we, we can't go there. And so there are some times when that, that can be very difficult. So we do need each other. And we do need to share those kinds of things with each other so we can hold each other up and be there for each other in these very, some very difficult times and trying times. Again, more so in the lives of some people uh, than others, depending on the family dynamics and all those kinds of things. So we need to take this very, very, uh, very seriously, which is why, again, I think that Paul is so concerned with encouraging them to grow in their maturity. Because along with that, as always, because it's in other places as well, uh, in fact, we, we were covering a, a list of things that Peter put in Second Peter, where he talked about us pursuing certain things as individual believers, and one of them is brotherly affection it's not just it's, it's love as well but he put those two things in there separately and so there's this idea of brotherly affection that there is this in a sense this emotional warmth and affection that we have for each other and so i would say this then that even though when we think of love in agape love and how the bible uses agape love and how we define agape love which is you know it's a commitment of the will it's a decision that you make and and we're committed to to what is best for that person And, and you can do that really without much emotion you can't do that depending on your own makeup but the bible doesn't allow us just to be that guy the bible also wants us to be this other individual as well Again, it can be expressed in different ways, but there is definitely this idea that there is to be this affection. And so, even though we may be loving towards each other, if we are not there where there is brotherly affection for each other, then we need to continue to pray that God will change our hearts. Because that's what He wants. That's what He's commanding us to do and to be so again, we need to agree with one another, we need to live in peace, and then he says this, he says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, and the love of God will be with you. He doesn't say the peace of God will be with you. No, it is the God of love and the God of peace. So he's talking about the presence of God in the midst of this congregation of believers that God is there so we can proclaim that God is here not because we have any kind of emotional experience It's not because we feel anything. It's not because the Shekinah glory has descended upon the church and we're now wrapped in the cloud of the presence of God. We take this by faith. We trust and believe what the scripture says. Paul here tells this congregation, they pursue these things, he says this dogmatically, he says it emphatically, that God will be with them. The God of love, the God of peace, he will be with you and that is important, it's kind of like this, we all, we all understand the importance of presence, at least we should imagine a, a woman gives birth to a, to a baby and let's just say for instance that the child did have greatly advanced intellect and so at three months the baby can understand everything the mother's saying and the mother says to the child, now I want you to know that my love will be with you I have to go away for 20 years, there's things I have to do But you'll be okay, because all you have to remember is that I love you. And we would say, oh, kid would be fine. No, we don't think that. No one thinks the kid would be fine. But because they need mom to be there. They need dad to be there. Presence is just as important as anything else. And so we we recognize the importance of presence. It's not always that it brings about a certain feeling, though I think it can produce that. I do believe that parents, in a sense, who are present with their families, the children experience a sense of contentment. It's not that they suddenly wake up one morning and go, whoa, man, do I feel content today? Right, that doesn't happen. It's just kind of an ongoing thing that they just express sense of peace that they experience because things are in a sense as they should be. And they really won't recognize that they are experiencing that sense unless all of a sudden mom and dad are gone. Or if mom and dad are taken away. Then the upheaval comes. So there's this idea here that God's presence will be among them and that should be of great comfort to them uh, and of great comfort to us. So There's this prophetic promise, so to speak, that seems to be conditioned on their obedience. So we want to make sure we don't misunderstand this. So God's love and God's peace, they're not earned or merited. They are given to us by God's grace. But there's also a pattern in scripture that God does bless obedience. He does do that. Kind of back to that obligation thing that I was talking about earlier. So these, this obedient body of believers will be experiencing and really dispensing God's supernatural love and peace within, their, within the community of believers and I think within the community in which they live in. So, again, it's not that the love of God or the peace of God, but the actual person of God himself communing with them. And that's what he promises them this. John MacArthur says this, When the church pursues spiritual wholeness, it will experience the powerful and enriching presence of God. On the other hand, churches that lack joy, submission, truth, and unity will find themselves lacking God's blessing. It is not, of course, only perfect churches that enjoy the blessings of God's presence. There are no perfect churches, because all are made up of imperfect sinners. But those who diligently pursue completeness or maturity will enjoy the rich reward of God's presence in love and peace. Then he ends the passage where he talks about this holy kiss. And that used to be kind of a big thing back in the 70s for a while. A lot of people were talking about, you know, what is the holy kiss and all kind of weird things were being said. So to kind of give give you a little bit of background, number one, A.T. Robertson says this, he's uh, put together a, a Greek word study that's pretty good. And he says in Jewish synagogues, the sexes were separated, so in fact, if you go to a synagogue today, at, at least at least the one that's uh, reformed, because I've been there, you know, the men sit on one side, and the women sit on the other side, so everybody's separated, uh, and the kids sit with the moms on the other side, and the men just sit by themselves over here. So in the Jewish synagogues, the uh, sexes were separated, and so when they would greet each other, the men would kiss the men, and the women would, women would kiss the women, and you know, you've seen that on TV, where in certain countries, people give each other a kiss on each cheek, or Sometimes they just kind of embrace, and their cheeks their cheeks touch, and they they go, but they're not kissing each other. They make a sound. But anyway, there's all that all that's going on. Uh, so there was this. So it seemed to be this custom uh, among the Christians, there at least in the Middle East, and in fact, it's still observed in a lot of churches uh, in in, uh, in Russia and different places. Um, but it was dropped for a while by many churches because there was this charge that was made uh, against the Christians by pagans. They were, you know, they remember uh, back during the times of the persecution when Rome was persecuting the Christians, the Christians were accused of eating children. Um, and drinking blood and all that because you know of communion and they say oh they're eating bodies and drinking blood and there's all kind of weird stuff that was going on. The people were just saying that about Christians because they were you know persecuting them and trying to make them to be the enemy and that type of thing and so there was also these charges that all kinds of weird sexual things were going on because they greeted each other with a, with a kiss so in light of that then in England in 1250 the Archbishop Walter of York introduced what's called a Pax Board which uh, which was first kissed by the clergy and then passed around. So the idea was is there would still be this kind of greeting where there would be this ornamental board and there would be some kind of carving in it, whether it's a carving of Jesus or whatever it happened to be. And so he would kiss it and then you pass it around and everybody would kiss it. So I don't know what kind of germs you get if you're kiss if you the last one to kiss it. Uh, but I think there's less germs if we just kiss each other. But anyway, uh, that's what they did. So let's get into the, what is he talking about when he says this, okay? It's clearly, uh, I believe that it's clearly a, uh, um, uh, something that was just done at that time. I don't necessarily think is a command for today, but either way, whatever you want to whichever side of that you want to fall on. But he does say for them to greet each other. The word greet means to either salute or to embrace, uh, or to pay you respects. Uh, It means to kind of grab somebody and, and, you know, hug them and that type of thing. Um, It can be used as a physical affection, a welcome, which would be like a kiss. So in the New Testament times, when this was being written, uh, the holy kiss, the reason why it's a holy kiss is because it's not romantic. In other words, it's a holy kiss. In other words, it's what you do when you're greeting... Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ so it would then be sacred or it's, it's what you do at that point remember what makes something sacred or holy is uh, w- uh, what it's used for like if there's, you know, like if you went to the temple there would be sacred objects well, even if you have utensils they're not magical they've just been set aside to only be used there in the temple, so that's the idea of, of the kiss here so it would be kind of like the handshake uh, that, you, that we use I guess if you want to say it that way so for Christians, it was a further expression of brotherly love and unity. The holy kiss was especially precious to new believers during the early church years because oftentimes they were outcast from their own families because of their new faith. And so these new believers gloried in the new spiritual kinship they had found among other Christians. So whether it's a kiss or just a hug, um, there is this idea that, that this, there's to be this welcoming in the church. Now, uh, some of us don't always recognize this. Some of us are very blessed in our families. Okay, in my family, most everyone is a believer, it really is great. My parents, my siblings, uh, our children, some of our grandchildren, some are still real young. Um, my, uh, not only my sisters, but their husbands and, and their children. And so most of them are believers. And it's, it's great, um, you know, to have that. For some individuals, maybe for several, most of their family are non-believers then in some of those families there are, there's one or two or maybe several that are actually anti-Christian they, they don't like, they don't treat them well or there's no uh, affection or there's no intimacy because they're believers and sometimes it's because of some of the modern day issues sometimes for other reasons and so there are some individuals who come to church this is really their only real family this is the place where they're going to be accepted. Like you, like we can take it for granted that we're accepted at home. That's just how it is. I mean, when I when I grew up, I never—it it wasn't even a thought that I didn't belong there. There was never a thought that I wasn't loved and cared for. But it was just—I was just very secure and never thought, "Boy, am I secure?" But individuals who don't have that recognize that they can feel that. Sometimes, you know, you may have you may have seen that with some of your children's friends who you knew they had a troubled home, and always seemed to be at your house. It's because they could feel the difference. They could tell. They like that. I've talked to kids who told me that they were friends with certain individuals because, well, at their house, no one yells at them. At their house, everybody is kind, respectful. They go through all that kind of stuff. We even had kids who would come to Awana. One time, I was asking some kids just because you know, most kids I don't know them because I don't work with the kids, and I was asking them, you know, if they like coming, and you know, all they were, oh yeah, they love coming. And I would ask them why, and you know, some say, well, we, we we get dinner, and dinner's always good, and we play these wild games and all those things. But every now and then, there'd be a kid, and there's, I remember this one kid. He kind of had real long hair. Um, I guess he was a fourth grader. He's kind of small for his age. And when I asked him if he liked coming here, he said it was—he said it was great. So I asked him why, and he said, "No one, no one yells at me here." And then he said that uh, he said he told me that um, I don't know how it came about, but he said that either the week before or two weeks earlier, he had gotten his food and he dropped his plate, and it was just this mess everywhere. So he was kind of expecting just to get berated by several adults. And when he dropped his plate some adults came like right away. Picked it up, cleaned it up, brought him another plate of food. I mean he was a fourth grade kid and he was blown away by that. And he just he loved being here because it felt safe peaceful, the whole deal. So there are even adults that are believers that this is for them a safe haven. And so that's why, even though, you know, we can even joke about the holy kiss and all that kind of stuff, we really should recognize the importance of just greeting each other and being with each other and the importance of that. Uh, Because for some... We are God's supply to them to meet some of their emotional needs that their family's not meeting. That's another reason why God, we're called the children of God, and this is the family of God, and God is our Father, and those kinds of things. We should be thinking of those things. So then the holy kiss then from a Jewish Christian to a Gentile believer, which was even a bigger deal because everyone knew the Jews believed the Gentiles were just dogs, uh, and that was expressed on a a regular basis. Uh, That was, to be accepted fully as a Christian, that was a real big deal. And so this kind of fellowship that they enjoyed um, was really unique uh, among of the various religions that were there and imagine again, as we've mentioned before when it came to the church, there were times when the individual who was teaching the word of God maybe even the pastor, was a slave and his master was in the congregation and yet when you greet each other as brothers in the Lord, man, does that speak volumes that's an incredible thing and so we, we need to recognize that, so I know that because uh, I'm one of those individuals I know some of us are kind of stiff emotionally you know, it's just not real not real expressive now I am with my, my grandkids, I'm all over them you know, but when it comes to other people I'm kind of, you know you know uh, hug, mm, mm, kind of thing but you know, it's okay, I'm still going to do I'm, I'm, I make myself do it and it's not like I don't like I, I don't even know if, how, what to say I don't even say if I like it or don't like it but but the point is, is you know, it's important it's important and so we need to recognize that. Uh, and sometimes, you know, even just living as a believer in the world, sometimes you'd be amazed at your treatment of other people, how it affects them without even knowing it. Uh, and so we just need to, to be clear on that. So again, whether or not the holy kiss should be a tradition that we carry out today, it's not really clear in the scripture. But the bottom line is, is when it comes to greeting each other, really in a sense embracing each other, accepting each other, loving each other, that's really not an option. And so we we need to make sure that we are that way uh, as believers. And then he ends with this. the grace which I believe would be the sustaining grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord Jesus Christ, God and the Holy Spirit are all subjective, uh, genitive uh, in the language there. And it indicates that the grace which comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and the love which God inspires in the hearts of His children and the sense of membership or fellowship that we have which the Holy Spirit imparts is given to those who are united in one body. That's what brings us together. And so, after all the things that Paul has said, this is what he says to them in the end. And so despite our disagreements and the things that we may not get along well on, some of the awkwardness that might be there in some of our relationships, maybe some of the tension that we go through from time to time uh, in, in the life of the church, all that is overcome... Not because we deny that it exists, not because we pretend it's not there, not because we just kind of swallow our opinion and and no longer hold to it—it's none of those things. It is because of the overwhelming love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that has united me by His Spirit to God the Father, and has given me a new heart, and has poured His love, as it says in Romans, in my heart. And by pouring His love in my heart, I now have the capacity and I have the ability to love others, really, as I love. Myself, And, And I have the strength where I'm no longer concerned about what people think about me and my reputation. Let the Lord take care of that. I give myself to him and to others. And you can live that way and be free from the bondages in the world as when it comes to do other people like me or not. Am I accepted or not? You just don't have to worry about those things. You can just live your life in great joy and freedom. And truly enjoy this life there is. So when it comes to each other and I give you an awkward hug, it's okay. Alright? And if you're like me and someone comes and gives you a full-on embrace, just don't get weird about it. Alright? Just kind of give them a little pat. That's enough. I love you too. And uh, I think that we'll all continue to mature and care for each other and perhaps even pray more faithfully for each other as we seek to see everyone here flourish in their lives as believers and their walk with the Lord and in the rest of their lives.